Good morning, and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning, and to be in right relationship with each other and with ourselves and with the planet. We're glad you're here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone, And so it is our custom to greet the divine on a Sunday morning by greeting the people around us. If you have comments on the platform in which you are watching, please do take this time to greet one another. And if you're not from around here, then let us know where you're watching from. Join me in saying our chalice lighting. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. From Russian philosopher and author Fyodor Dostoevsky. Above all, don't lie to yourself. The man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to a point that he cannot distinguish the truth within him or around him, and so loses all respect for himself and for others. And having no respect, he ceases to love. This congregation has a mission statement that it wrote for itself. We like it, we try to use it as a guide as we make decisions We wrote it on the wall of the sanctuary and we say it together every Sunday. Please say it with me. Together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Every Sunday we have a moment for beloved community where we try to learn something or lift up something that will bring us more toward being a beloved community, part of the, the dream that Dr. King had for the world. March 7th is the anniversary of Bloody Sunday, the march in Selma across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. 600 people were marching for voting rights. They were met with brutal opposition from law enforcement. Many people were injured that day. The songs that were sung that day were an important part of the civil rights movement, as you all know. What I did not know was that there was an architect named Carl Bankert who came down from Detroit and wore one of those big bulky tape recorders under his coat and recorded some of the songs as they were sung that day. I'm hoping with permission. I'm not sure how he could have done it otherwise. But I want you to listen as two little girls sing this, one of my favorite songs. Watch 
rich beyond my wildest dreams. I slept with the acorns as my pillow, my head full of leafy visions. And in the morning, I began to keep my promise. I planted beside roads, at rotaries, among rubble, ruins, and rusty railings, by train tracks, tram lines, and traffic lights, in abandoned parks and gardens laced with broken glass, behind factories and shopping malls, at bus stops, cafes, and apartment buildings. I pushed aside the mean and hard and ugly, and I planted, planted, planted. Nothing changed at first. The gritty wind still scratched the parched, cracked streets. The people scowled and scuttled to their homes like cockroaches. But slowly, 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 shoots of green began to show. Trees! First here, and there, then everywhere. People came onto the streets to see. They touched the leaves in wonder, and they smiled. They had tea together by the tiny trees. They talked and laughed. And pretty soon, they were planting too. Trees and flowers, fruits and vegetables in parks and gardens on balconies and rooftops. Green spread through the city like a song, breathing to the sky, drawing down the rain like a blessing. But by then, I was already far away, planting in another sad and sorry city. And another... And another. And another. And last night, in a lonely alley, a young thief fought me for my sack of acorns. I smiled and made the old bargain, knowing how a heart can change, knowing that my planting will go on. Our meditative reading today was written by Yunus Imre, a Turkish folk poet and Sufi mystic of the 13th century. Sometimes called Dervish Yunus, Imre was known for spinning his words of faith and love beautifully as if they were spun within his whirling prayers. He left an enormous imprint on Turkish culture to this day. He wrote, A single word can brighten the face of one who knows the value of words. Ripened in silence, a single word acquires a great energy for work. War is cut short by a word, and a word heals the wounds. And there's a word that changes poison into butter and honey. Let a word mature inside yourself. Withhold the unripened thought. Come and understand the kind of word that reduces money and riches to dust. Know when to speak a word and when not to speak at all. Now is the time in our service when we join together with as much quiet as we can muster in the place where we're listening or watching. Please join me in an attitude of prayer and meditation where we speak or listen to God as we understand God or listen to our inner wisdom or just watch our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. 
This morning, I would like to say a prayer of gratitude for the people who have put their bodies on the line for liberation. This effort was not over in 65. It has not been over. It's still going on today. May we honor those sacrifices by pressing toward more and more ease of voting for all Americans. There are tremendous forces that we are pressing against. May we embrace our task with commitment and fierce joy. May it be so. Now you're welcome to light candles of joy or sorrow, hope, remembrance, or determination. I want you to pretend that you're at a bookstore with an author reading a piece from her book. That's me, the author, and I'm reading a piece from my book. I think this one is in a book called Did I Say That Out Loud? But I'm not positive. The piece is called Dumpster Pumpkins. Picture a tall man with white hair standing in a dumpster looking through the trash. 
Two women stand on the street offering encouragement and appreciation. To tell the complete truth, we are also laughing. Here's how we got into this situation. Steve, the handsome white-haired man, volunteers his time and energy to clean our church. His main field of expertise is applied mathematics, but cleaning makes him hum and whistle. He was just putting the building back in order after our Halloween festival, Boo at the UU. We had spider races, spells and potions room, a spooky surgery room, a fortune teller, and a pumpkin decorating contest. Steve and I were standing in the building's foyer talking companionably when Chris, our director of religious education, who rarely moves slowly, dashed up the hall from her office, spun around the foyer and said, where are the pumpkins that were down there? She pointed at the floor. Oh, I threw those away, Steve said. Where are they? Out in the dumpster, Steve answered. Chris looked stricken. I promised the kids they could pick up their pumpkins Sunday after the paint dried. It was a promise. Let's go get them, was Steve's instant reply. Chris is a good mother. Steve is a good grandfather. They understand that a promise made to a child has to be kept. The three of us trooped off to the dumpster. Chris carried a box for the pumpkins. Steve carried the ladder. Setting it against the side of the dumpster, he climbed up and jumped in and looked around. I wonder how I'm going to get out, he mused aloud. Picking around in the garbage for the pumpkins, he placed them carefully in the box Chris lifted up to him. They counted, and when all the pumpkins had been rescued, Steve muscled himself onto the side of the dumpster and jumped to the ground. We clapped and whistled. I would be glad to know one person who would dumpster dive to keep a promise to a child, and I know at least two. Had I been by myself, I don't know if I would have been that ready to dive for the kid's sake. I might have been more ready to tell them I was sorry, the pumpkins got thrown away by accident, and they would just have to deal. I would have been sensible about it. That headlong jump into the dumpster isn't in my makeup, and I think I wish that it were. I would rather be one of those people from whom kids learn to make enormous efforts to keep your promises than one of those people from whom they learn to deal with disappointment. I don't trust the world enough to make promises. Telling my children about something I want to do for them, I always try to say, that's my intention and my plan, but it's not a promise because you never know what will happen. I know Chris and Steve, having lived for more than 30 years each on this earth, have had as much reason to mistrust the world as I do, yet they continue to make promises. I don't know if it's just the world that I don't trust. Maybe I don't trust my own strength and resolve. I broke those first wedding vows I took where I promised at 23 to love the man for the rest of my life. So much wrath, so much guilt followed the breaking of those promises. I decided never to make one again. After all, look where they get you, knee deep in garbage, wondering how you're going to get out. But Steve did get out, after all, and Chris's promise to the children was kept. It wasn't that hard. It was even fun. 
My desire to stay clean by never making another promise suddenly strikes me as emotionally prissy. I don't want to be prissy in any way. Maybe I will start small with little promises and see what happens. You can stand in the street and laugh at me if I end up in the dumpster. So every therapist will tell you that if you are trying to build self-esteem, one of the ways to do it is to keep your word to yourself and others. You have to be careful of what you promise, but if you do promise something, you have to really move heaven and earth to keep that promise, or you have to be really clear about why you need to break the promise. And this is a way to build trust with yourself and with another person and with your whole community. And we've seen the power of lies in our politics lately. Everything supports the unfortunate truism that if you tell a big lie often enough, people believe it. But it ruins everything. The fabric of our society is showing the wear and tear. The Dostoevsky quote that Reverend Chris read this morning just talks about how if you lie so often that you can't even tell what's true or what's false inside yourself anymore, and you probably can't tell what's true or false out there anymore because you think everybody's lying as much as you are, and you lose respect for other people and you lose respect for yourself, and it's hard to, it's hard to love If you don't respect, it's hard to navigate through relationship. If you are always lying and you think the other person's always lying too, how in the world do you keep a bond between a person? In order to to have a relationship, you have to have some kind of steady ground that you are both standing on. It's strongest when I'm telling you the truth as much as I can possibly tell it. And you're telling me the truth as much as you possibly can. And after a while of being a truth teller, you find that lying makes you sick. It's like drinking poison water. It's like like drinking out of a stream where something toxic has been poured in upstream. Lying makes you sick and lying makes the whole community sick we live in a culture of speech there are words everywhere there are words that we read the emails the ads the television we are always hearing speech i'm going to talk later on this spring about the eightfold path and one of the strands of the path is right speech and so we'll talk about that Right now, I just want to say, doing what you say, it doesn't necessarily make you a good or a bad person. It just makes 
more happiness. And not doing what you say you are going to do makes you unhappy and other people unhappy. Lying, breaking vows, unless it's done very intentionally. Those things create suffering. To be a person who speaks the truth is to be a treasure. People can trust that you are saying what you believe to be true. You can trust me to be me. I can trust you to be you. I'm not going to try to trust you to be who I wish you were. That would be silly. The word is so powerful. We've seen the power of words recently. We've seen the power of words to comfort, to inflame, to incite, to gin up grievance. We've seen the power of words to refresh. We've seen the power that the words have. And it makes it so clear what the Talmud is talking about, where it quotes God as saying, All the other parts of the body I have made standing up, but the tongue I have made lying down, and I have built walls around it. The word is powerful. It can create, and it can destroy, and I want us to choose to create. Our inner wisdom will tell us how. Let there now be an offering taken and gratefully received to support this congregation and its mission. If you are a member here, you have pledged, and I'm deeply grateful. We all are, all of us, who ask one another for money all the time. And we're grateful for your payments on your pledges. If you're not a member here and you donate, thank you for donating to help this congregation. So we'll be strong on the other side of this irritating, terrible, tragic situation we're in. If you're a member of another church that's perhaps too small to be very active right now, I ask that you donate to them. So they'll be there for you on the other side. I invite you to join me now as we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Let us sing with the little girls on the bridge. Ain't gonna let nobody turn me round, turn me round. Turn me round, ain't gonna let nobody turn me round. I'm gonna keep on talking, keep on walking, walking to the freedom land. And none of us is free till we all are free. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at 
austinuu.org.